welcome to the Air It Out podcast. We are here today with Chris Thomas and Avery Collins. How you doing, guys? Doing pretty good. Thank you. Obviously, uh, my voice sounds a little weird because I'm not Kevin Crockett today. Kevin Crockett is on vacation. Um, I, I don't know how I get paid to be on vacation this week, but he's on vacation. Ooh. Mmm. And no invite. So, Kevin, if you listen to this, I want my invite next time. All right? I am actually Jerome Jones. I'm filling in for him. All right. I, I want to say happy Thanksgiving, everybody, first. Uh, everybody have something to th- be thankful for. Chris, to start with you, what are you thankful for? Thankful that I'm going to be eating some wonderful food. Thankful to be a part of this podcast talking with two of my favorite people. And Avery? Um, I'm thankful for the many blessings God has bestowed upon me. Uh, I am healthy. I'm sane. My family is healthy and sane. Um, we are doing this podcast, and it is a joy uh, to be with you guys. Uh, I enjoy talking about football and just, you know, chopping it up with you guys, and I'm excited for the future. So I'm thankful. Thankful for life. And I'll, I will say that I'm thankful for, you know, my family, my Inside the Hashish family, and I am thankful for Michigan and Ohio State football. <laughs> And before we start our own, our podcast, and I know it's not college, but me and Chris have a little uh, bet going on. I'm not going to go Uh-oh. into details what the bet is yet, so just stay tuned for after the game, uh, and you'll see what the bet is. So all you listeners, definitely keep uh, looking out for us. Remember to follow us at InsideTheHashes.com, on Instagram, InsideHashes on Twitter, and InsideTheHashes on Facebook. First things first, let's talk about the one thing that everybody's raving about this week. It will be the Monday Night Football, the Rams and the Chiefs. I want to hear you guys' uh, initial reaction to the game. But before I, we go into that, I just want to draw some stats from that game. It was 54-51, to 51 and the Rams win. Mahomes was 33 for 46, 478 yards, six touchdowns and three interceptions, two fumbles. Jerry Goff, 31 for 49, 413 yards, four touchdowns, and two fumbles. Kareem Hunt and Gurley did very little rushing-wise. 14 um, attempts for Hunt for uh, 70 yards, and for Gurley, only 12 attempts, 55 yards. Uh, granted that they said that his ankle was a little hurt that game. The fact that the running game was almost non-existent in that game. Receiving-wise, Tyreek Hill, 215 yards. 10 receptions, two touchdowns. Cooks had eight receptions, 107 yards. Travis Kelsey, 10 receptions, 127 yards, and one touchdown. It was a fancy-filled game. Avery, I'm going to start with you. Let me get your reaction to that game. Um, Man, there's so many reactions I have from that game. First of all, uh, number one, it lives up to the hype. Um, it was definitely what we kind of all expected, definitely um, a shootout. I wasn't expecting it to be 100-plus points, but I was definitely expecting a high-scoring game, and that's what we got. It was delivered. Um, I thought the it was actually more of a defensive game than people really kind of make it out to be. I know it wasn't the traditional defensive game in the sense that, you know, it was 10 to 7 or anything like that, but uh, there were a total of, I believe, seven turnovers in the game. Um, there were a lot of sacks, and it was just, to me, it was just like the marquee defenders who we thought would show up did show up, 
Um, and so that's why I say it, 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 some, it was somewhat of a defensive game. I think the takeaways I get from it is Jared Goff is a really good quarterback. Um, I see why he went number one overall. Um, if anybody has any questions or doubts, um, they need to just go back and watch the film of that game. Number two, Patrick Mahomes is really, really good. He's really, really, really good. I mean, I understand that he's young. I understand he had, um, what, five turnovers himself. Um, but some of the picks weren't on him. He does have to, uh, you know, uh, protect the ball better in the pocket, you know, keep his hands on the ball. But other than that, I think it was just, for me, it was just it, both quarterbacks kind of showed that they, they're not afraid of the moment. And then last but not least, um, and a fellow inside the hashes member uh, on our sports talk page on Facebook, uh, Deontay Daniels kind of pointed it out. I think if the Rams would have ran the ball more with Todd Gurley, um, I think that the game wouldn't have been as close. I think that they would have controlled the clock a little bit more. Um, as, as you just reported, Jerome, there were reports that he had an ankle injury. Um, yeah, he didn't come off the field. So if he didn't come off the field, you should utilize, utilize him more in the running game. Um, but I think it was, overall it was a phenomenal game, best game of the season for sure. And before first pay his little rebuttal into that, I want to um, throw some stats out that um, Avery was trying to allude to. Rams had three sacks. Um, two of them was from Aaron Donald, and the Chiefs had five sacks. So, Chris, how did you feel about that crazy Monday night football game? Um, high scoring, basically pun intended, Aaron and out all over the field. And if you had any questions about Jared Goff's future and him being in that top five, top ten quarterback debate down the line, that he answered it for you. We already seen what Patrick Mahomes is able to do when the lights are on bright and they're shining on him. Patrick Mahomes is not afraid of the limelight. He will always perform. But the question I always had was, is is Jared Goff that good or is he just a benefactor of really good coaching and having Ty Gurley be the catalyst for that offense? That night, that night you had D4 and Justin Houston all over your face. You got sacked five times, but you carried that offense. You were down the wide receiver in Cooper Cup, but you still found Robert Woods, Everett, and Brandon Cooks all night. And you threw a beautiful 40-yard touchdown to get the lead down late. That shows to me that Jared Goff is going to be a big-time player. There's a reason why he went number one overall in the draft. A lot of people really forgot about that. And if the future of the NFL is going to be Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes along with the rest of these young quarterbacks, then the league is going to be in good hands when Brady, Rodgers, and Breeze, the older guard, you know, starts to fade out. And and just another comment on that, like Shannon Sharp, uh, Uncle Shea, kind of pointed this out as well. He said, um, he said, uh, you know, to Chris's point, if you had any questions about Jared Goff, he, one, he answered it, and two, if you had any questions about as a GM or an owner whether or not you should hire Jeff Fisher, Monday night, prove to you you should not as a head coach you should not even consider hiring this guy because under Jeff Fisher Jared Goff looked like a bust and you know you bring in McVay and it's a complete you know 180 like the guy looks like an MVP candidate for years to come so that just proves one that I said that Jeff Fisher just isn't a great head coach and two um, how much coaching does have an impact uh, on, on quarterbacks and teams as a whole, you know, certain systems and different things like that. Don't get me wrong. I think Jared Goff is good with or without McVay. How good remains to be seen. Obviously, you know, he would have to get traded or go to another team or whatever. 
But I, I think the same things were um, kind of like in a Tom Brady uh, mindset where, you know, you have that coach that can kind of you mold the system around that guy. So I think they go hand in hand, and I'm excited to see what the future holds. And not to mention, I don't think we talk about the impact that Aaron Donald had in that Monday night football game. He leads the league in sacks. He has 13 sacks. And almost over 70% of those snaps that he takes, he's get double teamed. And that defensive player of the year debate is going to come down to either Kim or Khalil Mack. I'm going to go with the guy that even though they know he's going to, they know he's coming, they put 70% double teams on him for majority of the plays, and he's still leading the league in sacks. Yeah. And terrorizing that backfield, then it's no question to me that Aaron Donald's going to be MVP. My bad. Yeah. Not not MVP, defensive player of the year. <laughs> the crazy part, I just want to throw, throw it out there, is the crazy part is even with, with everything he said about Donald, He's doing it from an, an interior lineman position. That is insane. 13 sacks as an interior. You know what? That's just, I don't even have to say anything else. Yeah. Kind of took that from my 10 minutes of tapes later on. Like, I, um, we could get back to that uh, at the end. Like you said, Avery, um, the fact that we all thought golf was going to be a bust after one year, that always kind of drives me crazy when we don't give a player enough time to develop into the player that he needs to be after one year. We're automatically ready to give a first-round pick a bust title right after that. He can't be a Hall of Famer right away. And speaking of Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame class just got uh, announced, the semifinal list, and included in that is Stephen Atwater, Champ Bailey, Rondé Barber, Tony Briselli, Isaac Bruce, Leroy Butler, Clay Matthews Sr., Sam Mills, Every Zach Thomas, Darren Woodson, Tom Flores, Tony Gonzalez, Tory Hall, Adrian James, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Ty Law, John Lynch, Richard Seymour, and Heinz Ward. So out of those names, Chris, give me five players that you think uh, should make it out of there and give me one dark horse. Well, first, T.O. should be on there. So I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, it's just a slight in the Hall of Fame for making them wait after all these years. But... <laughs> Obviously, on the top of my list is going to be Champ Bailey. To me, he's the best cornerback I've ever seen play. I'm very fortunate enough that during those early 2000s, 12-time Pro Bowler, three-time three-time All-Pro, first-team All-2000s decade team. Second is also the greatest player that I've seen from his position, Ed Reed. Ed Reed has just absolutely changed the complexion of how the safety position has been played, especially now today, the closest I've probably ever seen to playing that all-purpose all purpose player at that position is probably Earl Thomas. Third, my favorite tight end of all time, Tony Gonzalez. He, and we want to talk about revolutionary, he was the first real tight end that was that you would consider a tight end as an extra wide receiver. I mean, him, Shannon Sharp, they paved the ways for those Rob Gronkowski's, the Travis Kelsey's, the Zach Gerst, Jimmy Graham's, all in the world. And next is Jimmy Johnson, the mastermind of building that, 90s, the, the 90s Dallas teams. Well, Jimmy Johnson is definitely to me a first ballot Hall of Famer, and Cowboys really haven't been right ever since they let him go. And last is Darren Woodson, um, pretty much self-explanatory, one of one of the better safeties to ever play the game, one of the smartest safeties ever played. And my dark horse, I'm, I was going to go Torrey Big Game Holt, who's one of my favorite wide receivers of all time one of the catalysts for one of the great, to the greatest shows on turf. But I'm going to go with Kevin Mowai. From 95 to 2004, he's never missed a game. He's an eight-time Pro Bowler, and he is on the first first team all decades for pro football focus. 
He is one of the true Ironmen and anchors for one of the offensive line for one of the better offensive lines that the New York Jets had during that tenure. Avery? Um, I agree with some of some of Chris's and disagree with some, of course. Um, so for me, I'm going to start where he started, uh, Champ Bailey. Um, I think that Champ Bailey, without question, is one of the best corners I've ever seen play football. One of the best football players I've ever seen on the field. I mean, his feet were extremely, extremely swift. Um, he was fast. I mean, I, I remember hearing about some of the, the workouts that he did and how he did them at everything at full speed, and we already know how fast he was. Um, he was one of those guys who, you know, before before this whole island talk kind of came around, um, he was one of those guys that you could, you know, just put on an island, uh, per se, and just and say, you know, take care of this side of the field. So um, definitely champ. Um, I agree as well with Ed Reed. Um, Ed Reed is the greatest safety to ever play NFL football. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, I think that he definitely re- revolutionized the position, um, as Chris stated. Um, somebody who was a ball hawk but wasn't afraid to get his nose dirty, played well on special teams as well. I think Ed Reed was just a transcendent player for, for a generation. Not only is he the greatest, he is my favorite safety of all time. I think number number three is Tony Gonzalez as well for all the points that Chris stated. Um, not only just the impact that he had on the game, the fact that he impacted the game and produced the numbers to, to back it up. I mean, when he retired, he had every major category that a tight end um, is looked to have. Um, he was number one in, in those categories as far as receptions, yards, and touchdowns. Uh, like Chris said, you know, he was that. He was one of the first tight ends you looked at and said, this guy we have to look at as a legitimate threat to as a receiver. And I think, honestly, I think he made Matt Ryan into what he is today. I think without the help and the guidance of a guy like Tony Gonzalez, uh, we might not have seen the evolution of uh, Matt Ryan. So um, the next one, I'm, and this is where I disagree with my last two, I'm going to go with Isaac Bruce. Um, I think – Isaac Bruce was a phenomenal player. I think he's actually very underrated because of how, I guess, uh, soft-spoken he was. Um, he wasn't really a, a huge showboater. He um, he didn't do too many interviews. He didn't talk too much. He wasn't boastful and loud. Um, he was just, he was kind of like in the mode of a Marvin Harrison, Julio Jones, kind of those type of guys who just go out and work. Um, they don't They don't really make too much noise. They just go out and work. Um, and he was, you know, when he retired, I mean, the numbers that he had put up, they were comparable to the greats as far as, you know, uh, Jerry Rice and uh, Terrell Owens and Randy like his, his numbers uh, speak for himself. And then, you know, getting those championships, I think, also helps. And to be honest, I feel like it's a possibility Tory Hope might not have been as good without Isaac. So that's just my personal opinion. Um, and then last but not least, uh, Zach Thomas. Um, I believe he was one of those linebackers that kind of did it all. There wasn't anything that you could really um, ask of him on the field at that position that he couldn't do. Um, he was an intimidator as well. Um, people really, really respected the guy. He was oh, he was a consummate professional. Um, he, he he did things the right way. Uh, he played with 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 heart and passion. That's the one thing. If I if I had to pick out of anything, that's the one thing that I I, I want to remember the most about. Uh, about Thomas is that he, he his heart and his passion for the game of football. And then my dark horse would be 
would be Darren Woodson. I know uh, Chris had him as a, as a lock. Um, I'll put him as a dark horse. Um, I think he's, again, one of the better safeties all time. And to Chris's point, um, he's definitely one of the smartest safeties all time, for sure. Um, if you watch the film, you can you can see that. I mean, he plays with um, amazing instincts, amazing awareness. He wasn't the, the, the complete all-around safety in the sense of the athletic ability um, like Ed Reed, but he was he was very much comparable. So, And he was an anchor on defense. So um, I would put him as my dark horse. My only grievance is that Jimmy Johnson was one of the greatest, like, coaches of all time, and yet you don't have him, but yet he's off your list. And yet, with all due respect to Isaac Bruce, to me, he's one of the more underrated wide receivers not talked about through the mid-'90s through the 2000s. Mm -hmm. I'm just, if anything, I'm just kind of shocked that you're leaving Jimmy Johnson off. I think his work for Dallas is unsaid and, and really hasn't been duplicated ever since Jerry Jones got rid of him. I think the reason I leave Jerry, uh, excuse me, Jimmy off is because of the the short tenure. One, two, I think the fact that he was a benefactor of his environment and situation. I'm not sure if he was that good of a coach or if it was a situation where he was benefiting. So, like for example, and I, I you know, I know we we do this a, a lot on Inside the Ashes. We kind of, you know, equate some certain things to other sports, but basketball, for example. You know, some people really question Steve Kerr's coaching ability. They're, they're questioning, is Steve Kerr really that good of a coach, or is he benefiting from having players like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, who are very coachable and having a veteran like Andre Iguodala, who, where you can kind of you, – you, you, can, you, can, um, you don't have to, to do as much because you look at when he's out, Luke Walton goes, what, 30-something and four or something like that. So um, – I think that plays a part into it for me. Um, that team um, in Dallas was 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 stacked. It was a it was a, it was a really good team. So um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, but at the same time, I don't want to take away from his coaching ability. I just don't know if I would put him in there like a first ballot guarantee lock. Um, he could be a dark horse, um, but lock. I'm 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 hesitant. I'm hesitant. I'm just saying, like in regards to. The, the entire thing that Jimmy Johnson then the next year later Barry switched herself over and won that Super Bowl. It's kind of similar to what I saw uh, in Tampa Bay when Tony Dungy is the mastermind exactly. of that O2 Tampa Bay team. John Gruden comes in and takes all the credit, and then after that the wheels start to fall off. I'm just saying Jimmy Johnson is probably one of the greatest coaches in the, of the 90s, and I don't think he gets enough credit for that. I totally agree with both of your sides with some of your arguments. It's going to be hard to get everybody in the Hall of Fame at this um, point with so many good names, uh, especially every, you know, I, I don't think anybody disagree that every should be first ballot. Um, Trent Bailey, both of y'all had those two at the top of your list, and I agree, and I'll put that in as well. With that being said, it's Thanksgiving. Everybody's favorite thing after they eat all their delicious dinner and food is eating pie. So this weekend... Let's talk about some teams that can be eating some humble pie. A team that's playing at high expectations, have a good record, but can possibly get upset by a team and be humbled. We have the Bears at Detroit, the Saints at home against Atlanta, Carolina playing at Seattle, and we have Houston playing at Tennessee. So out of those four games, do you think we'll get a little taste of humble pie this week? Oh, man, this is tough. <laughs> um, 
I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say, I'm going to go say that the Saints are going to get humble pie. Mm. I listen. The Saints are one of the better teams in the NFL altogether. Probably the best team in the NFC. But for right now, they're riding a hot streak, and you need something to bring you down to earth and just to reset everything for you to get ready for that late postseason run. Atlanta, despite all the injuries that they have, that offense is still dangerous. I know they only scored 19 points against a really good Dallas defense, but it's a divisional game. It can always go either way. And let's not forget, I mean, I know it's the beginning of the season, but Ryan Fitzpatrick scored 40, 48 points on the, Saints, on the Saints defense. The Saints defense is still 31st when it comes to the pass. This Atlanta offense, despite all its inconsistencies, whether it's Steve Sarkis' play calling or Matt Ryan under underperforming, this Atlanta offense could still put up points in a hurry. I'm a, I think if the Saints aren't careful, then they're going to be the ones uh, eating humble pie on Thanksgiving. Avery? Um, first, uh, Matt Ryan underperforming. Um, he's second in the league in passing yards. He has 22 touchdowns to Drew Brees at 25. Uh, only four picks, and they both had an equal uh, passer rating. So I'm not sure where, you, where, you, where you're getting that from. But I do I do also agree that he could, in certain situations, play better. So if that's what you're talking about, then I agree. Um, I want to agree with you that the, the Saints are going to eat humble pie. But losing two of our, our, our starting two safeties, I feel like in the way that Drew Brees is playing right now, I don't see it happening. They're putting up astronomical numbers on offense um, and not having our two safeties and, and possibly not even getting Deion Jones back at practice, but he didn't play last game. I'm not sure if he's going to play this upcoming game. Um, defensively, I just feel like we are just entirely too beat up um, to keep up with an offense that puts up um, you know points like that. So I, I'm going to say that I, I, I don't believe that they're going to eat the humble pot. And I'm going to say that I think that the team that does eat the humble pot this week is the Houston Texans. I think that the Titans are a really good team that nobody's talking about. I don't think that they are phenomenal. I don't think that they are outstanding. And I don't necessarily believe that if they make it to the playoffs that they will make a ton of noise. However, they they play football essentially the way it's supposed to be played. and the sense that um, they run the football, they're physical, and they play good defense, right? And so I feel like um, from that standpoint, I feel like – and it's, it's always a, a, an amazing matchup between those two teams, uh, specifically the last three years. I think that it's a possibility that Houston kind of cools off as well. You know, they've been on, on a roll. They haven't, they haven't lost in, in recent weeks. And so I, I think that the Titans can come in and possibly pull up an upset. I don't think that the game is going to be high scoring at all, obviously. Um, and I think that if Tennessee is able to control the clock by running the football and being effective with it, I think that uh, I think they can pull it off. I agree with your point. The, I mean, Tennessee did get blown out last week by a really a Colts team that's going on a tear as well. But that defense is still has a really good lot of young pieces there. Uh, Wesley Woodyard. Woodyard's a really good veteran. Jarrell Casey's probably one of my favorite underrated defenders. Uh, Rashad, Rashad Evans, Harold Landry, even even the back end um, is pretty good in spurts. But that offense just still needs to figure itself out, and Mariota needs to stay healthy. Yes, for sure. Yeah, and uh, I'll, I'm going to pretty much throw in a team myself. And I probably wouldn't say this before, but um, recent news just came out that 
Mitchell Dubisky might not even play this game. And on a short week, yes, he have a shoulder injury. So he might not even wow. play this week. Whoa. On a short week, and, yeah, this news just came out maybe uh, a little bit ago. So I might say the Bears, I mean, although they have this really potent defense, but uh, without their quarterback and on a short week like this, that's a tall task, and you're playing away. You're not home. So yeah, yeah. Chase Daniels starting. Mm-hmm. Oh my, oh man. Look yeah. at look look at Jerome withholding insider secrets. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're gonna go into our ten minute take. Um, you guys that have been listening to us know how this goes. If you haven't been listening to us, this is how it goes. We got ten minutes of take. I give you a take. Um, usually Croc is the one. You know, again, like I said, he's on vacation. I'm gonna give out a take. If you disagree with the take, you're gonna hear the sound. If, if not, that means they agreed. So I'm sorry. What what sound are they gonna hear? They're gonna hear this. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna start off with this. Carolina Panthers are currently six and four. They just lost to to the Detroit Lions at Detroit. Their remaining games are their home playing Seattle, at Tampa, at Cleveland, home versus the Saints, home versus. Uh, the Vikings and at New Orleans to end the season. The Panthers will not make the playoffs. All right, so both of you uh, disagree. They, they they are going to go to the playoffs. Yeah. Yes, I think that those next three games that you just mentioned are the reason why. Um, I think that they they win these next three games, um, and then I think obviously um, it'll be it'll be. Uh, Tough stretch to end the season with the Vikings and Saints, but I think they actually have the capability to pull out the win against the Vikings. Um, I again, I just don't see. I mean, and you know, it's a it's a very tough division. So the Saints um, and Panthers could, you know, they, they could beat the Saints essentially because of the division game, familiar with everybody and different things like that. I just don't see it happening. But I do think that of those remaining games, I think they get four wins and they end the season with ten. Well, to Jerome's era, they play the Falcons on Week 16, not the Vikings. But I – Oh, oh yeah. well, then, yeah. <laughs> well, then, yeah. <laughs> but this this week's game at Seattle is really going to be interesting. Um, they really dropped a bad – they had a bad loss uh, against yeah. Detroit this following Sunday of going for that two-point camp, missing that two-point conversion throw. It, that, that loss really hurt them. Uh, you know – you're you're right, and I I really wonder something. Who is the quarterbacks coach in Carolina? Why is his footwork still an issue? Like this, that like that blows my mind. I'm sorry. I I just like why the fact that he was wide open. There was there was not enough pressure in that pocket for him to throw the football the way he did. It 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 gives me concern. Well, Cam has really been having that issue since like ever since he came to the league. But this Seattle game is going to be interesting because if they if they win at Seattle, then they're going to stay on pace to probably have a shot of probably winning that division. If not, then Seattle's like right back into the thick of things in that wild card picture, and Cam and Carolina loses that tiebreaker. But I, I like what Carolina's doing. I like the fact that DJ Moore is becoming more of that primary number one option in that offense over Devin Funchess. Um, you still got Greg Olson. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is is still the Renaissance man doing everything he can. 
And that defense, led by Luke Keekley and and Eric, Eric Reed, who can still sometimes cost the team but cost the penalties, but that defense is still stacked. Uh, Ron Rivera is a really good is a really good coach, and he's been one of the few coaches that model consistency with Carolina in terms of winning. So I don't see them I don't see them losing less than ten games, especially with the schedule. Here's my take on this: Seattle is coming off one of their good games. Carolina lost two straight in a row, and they were playing three divisional games to end the season. And obviously two of them are the Saints, uh, which comes to my next uh, 10 minutes to take. Are the Saints the best team in the NFL? So uh, we all in agreement that the Saints are the best team in the NFL. Yeah. Yep. All right. So let me give you some stats that I pulled up real quick. That I kind of support that. So when it comes to offense, and we all know that the Saints' offense is one of the best, they're number four in total yards. Rams is two, and Chiefs is three. And points per game, they're number one. The Rams are three, and the Chiefs are two. And third down percentage, they're number five. The Rams are eight, and the Chiefs are four. And least amount of penalties, they're number three. The Rams are 16, and the Chiefs are dead last. Time possession, they're number one. The Rams are 10, and the Chiefs are 25. And in turnover differential, the Saints are six, the Rams are four, and the Chiefs are 12. So just listening to the fact that those other two offenses that we just praised uh, and listening to those um, stats, um, anything jump off to you, uh, Chris? Nothing really Nothing really jumps off to me. The Saints' offense is exactly what everyone expected to be, um, especially during time of possession when you have Alvin Kamara. Now Mark Ingram came back from the four-game suspension. They're able to pound the rock a little bit more with that, that smash of finesse side with uh, Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. It makes their offense a lot more dangerous. And the Vikings game, to me, was a signature win because Drew Brees didn't play all that well. He had a, about 120 yards and just one touchdown. The game was mostly won by their defense and the fact that they were able to just control the clock with uh, Kamara and Mark Ingram. It's going to be tough to go down to New Orleans to try to beat this team down in January. Um, a couple of things that stood out to me. Number one, the Chiefs, as far as penalties, man, that is mm. ridiculous. I didn't know that they were dead last. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that bodes. I don't think that bodes well uh, going into the future, especially in the playoffs. I think they need to clean that up if they're going to have a chance um, because – you're going to run into what it looks like a Steelers or a Patriots team are, who are much, much more disciplined. And you cannot give up that type of yardage uh, and penalties. You can't beat yourself against those two teams um, because they're very disciplined. Um, also, it just makes me kind of marvel a little bit more at what Patrick Mahomes has been able to do, even through all of those penalties. Um, but the other thing is, uh, to Chris's point, the Saints are, without question, the best team in the NFL. And I think the other portion of that is they can beat you in a multitude of ways. I mean, you have Drew Brees throw less than 100, uh, excuse me, less than 200 yards, and you still uh, pull out a win against a team that um, right now looks to be one of the uh, one of the better teams in the NFC. Um, so I feel like uh, they can beat you in a multitude of ways. They can run the football down your throat, power football. Um, they can be finesse um, and fancy. Uh, with with the passing game, uh, the screen game, and different things like that, um, and then at, at at opportune times, it looks like the defense is really 
um, one of the top-notch defenses in the league, you know, holding the defending Super Bowl champs to seven points. Uh, granted, the offense has kind of sputtered this year, but at the same time, um, you know, they did that uh, on the road. So I, I just feel like um, the Saints right now are just the most complete team in the NFL. Yeah, and um, to piggyback off your point about the Chiefs, another statistic that pointed out with uh, the Chiefs is they're 25th at time of possession, and you think about how explosive and how many points they've been putting up with their offense. That has got to change. I know they're a they're Andy Reid team. They're a quick strike, quick strike team with Tariq Hill, Travis Kelsey, Chris Conley, uh, Sammy Watkins whenever he's on the field, Kareem Hunt. But during during down the later of the stretch, you're going to have to feature Kareem Hunt a lot more. Yes, it's agreed. Yeah, you definitely have to because, um, like you said. Um, the the Patriots they have a multi they have a multi head running back monster and Sonny Michelle and James White um, the Steelers they've moved on with Le'Veon Bell but they still have a really good running back of James Conner the the Chargers who are on their heels now they they have Melvin Gordon it's running the football in January is really what's going to set you up for success and that's the major difference between the the last two years ago three straight years of seven and nine with Drew Brees where everything was on his shoulders and now you add Alvin Kamara and that re, that made the resurgence of Mark Ingram's career was their ability now to run the football now they're the most dangerous team in the entire NFL and to add to that the improvement on their defense now I'm going to put out some stats about the same three teams about their defense keep in mind that the Saints defense did not play well to begin with and they, the last three or four weeks they've been playing outstanding for the most um, points allowed per game, they're 15th, which is middle of the pack. We got the Rams at 22 and the Chiefs at 28. Yards per game, the Saints are 16, the Rams are 21, and the Chiefs are 30. Sacks total, um, we got the Saints at 21, which need to improve. The Rams are a little bit higher. They got eight, well, a lot higher. They got eight, and the Chiefs are two. Forced fumbles, the uh, defense for the Saints got 17. The Rams are seven, and the Chiefs are five. And when it comes to pick, the uh, Saints are 17, the Rams are 10, and the Chiefs are four. So when I'm looking at that, the thing that stands out to me is that even though the Saints are not getting the turnovers like the other the other two teams, they are they are significantly better with um, points allowed and significantly better with yards per game. And I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, that's why I said, you know, their defense has shown signs that they can kind of, kind of, they can play well um, in spurts and in, in moments. However, you know, I, I think the bend don't break mentality uh, is a good one uh, in, in the long run, right? Like we've seen that work for the Eagles last year, where you know teams were getting the yardage but they weren't scoring the points, right? Mm-hmm. They were getting down the field, but the Eagles were the best in the red zone last year. So I think it can bode well for you. I think it can be um, it can be good, especially when your offense is putting up points. However, um, that's why I said I'm not I'm not just I'm not certain they've been playing better, but turnovers definitely play a factor as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is uh, um, now granted, you know they're not in a position like the Rams or the the Chiefs where they kind of I'm not saying that they rely on turnovers, but it does it, it plays better into their hands because. Um, you don't want to put the game on the line um, in the de- in the hands of the defense of the Chiefs or or the Rams um, because they are allow they are allowing so many points. Um, you would be more comfortable, you know, saying the Saints defense isn't going to allow someone to score, maybe get down there but not score. Um, but I think turnovers definitely do help. So 
Yeah. Um, they need to work on that as well. Definitely. And uh, speaking of turnovers and defense, recent report from Adam Scheffler says that the Jaguars are looking into trading Jalen Ramsey in the offseason. There have been uh, recent reports the team said that they uh, have zero intention on trading Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey will be traded in the offseason. Okay, so both of y'all disagree. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's the cornerstone. To me, he's the cornerstone in that defense. And I'm not just talking about the secondary. I mean the defense. Um, he brings a, a swagger to the defense. He brings a toughness to the defense. Um, I know for certain his teammates enjoy him in the locker room. He doesn't seem like a bad locker room guy. Um, and he is literally the best corner in the NFL right now. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, has he been, um, you know, struggling as of late? Not really. I mean, in and, and, and certain spots, I guess, but that happens with any corner. Um, and the team itself is reeling. So, you know, you can't put it all on him. If they if they were to trade him away, to me it just signifies that they're they're taking the the heartbeat of the team away. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, I gotta agree with Avery. I think trading Jalen Ramsey after this year, especially when you went to an AFC title game last year, it, it's a panic move. When you saw that game between the Jaguars and the the Steelers, you saw the job that he did against Antonio Brown outside of that that seventy five yard touchdown that he had. It, he he gets he gets physical. He gets under your skin. He knows how to get the he knows how to make create turnovers whenever the ball gets thrown his way. He's yeah. he's not just the face of the defense. He's the face of that entire team. If anything, Leonard Fournette being out for a month and a half really crippled the Jaguars' chances of going back to the playoffs. And this off season, you you don't need to touch that defense at all. When you can spend an entire offseason and finding a better option than Blake Bortles and finding better running back options in case Leonard Fournette goes down again because their wide receiver core is really fine, if anything, and you get Cam Robinson back healthy, then the Jaguars are going to be back where they was two years ago. I, I don't think Jalen Ramsey getting traded is a smart move at all, if anything, it's a panic move. And you're really telling Jaguar fans, like, okay, it's time to hit the reset button in, in Duval. And I and I agree with you guys as well. I just think that the fact that like a lot of people are probably just panicking just because how good that defense was last year and the fact that they are um, yeah. giving up so many yards and points this year is just crazy. And it, it doesn't help. But the back. offense can't stay on the field. That's true too. Yeah, they but, have six straight three and outs. The defense can only do so much to stop a high power offense like Pittsburgh like that. But when you give the ball back on six straight three and outs, there's only so much that they can do. I agree with that. I, I just think that the fact that, you know, um, Jalen Ramsey kind of paid himself out there in the offseason, you know, attacking the quarterbacks. And um, pretty much all the quarterbacks that he downplayed are coming back to haunt him this year. Um, not just him, but the team in general. So I think that, you know, a lot of people are uh, questioning how the organization feels about him and his approach to that situation in the offseason. Okay. Oh, uh, I have one bold prediction. Nick Foles will be the starting quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars next year. Mm. Whoa. That's a hot take. Yeah. You know who, who might need a quarterback next year? The Redskins. Alex Smith is out um, with that broken leg. Um, it doesn't seem like it's looking really good right now. Um, he had to go into emergency surgery this, this week. Um, so he's out for the year. His career is 
pretty much in question. I think the Redskins are going to look for a quarterback anyway in this offseason. But here's my take to you guys. Since Colt McCoy is in, Colt McCoy will take the Redskins to the playoffs. All right, Chris, disagree. And Avery, disagree. Avery, let me hear you. Uh, Colt McCoy, I think, is um, – he's gotten a bad rap in the league. Um, so, so so, let me just preface with that. I don't think he's a terrible quarterback. Um, I, I think that he's, he's a product of not getting enough of a shot, right, like enough of, enough backing. So, you know, I, 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 but at the same time, I don't think he's elite and I don't think he's, you know. But I just think that the way the division is shaping out, right, um, you know, they're, they're going to have to rely on the run game a lot more now. Um, even more so than they have. Um, I think that Alex Smith, again, I, I don't get this. I don't understand where people get this thing about Alex Smith that he can't win you football games from or that he's just some middle-of-the-pack guy. Like, I, Alex Smith has done nothing but win everywhere he's gone. I understand he hasn't won, um, you know, major games in the playoffs. I understand he hasn't won the Super Bowl or anything like that. But when you're talking about regular season games, Alex Smith, has done absolutely nothing but win football games, no matter where he's gone. He's gone, you know, whether he was in San Francisco, he wins football games before he gets hurt. He goes to Kansas City, he wins football games before getting put out of the playoffs. I just feel like, and then, you know, this year, he's winning football games. The the, the Redskins are at the top of the division um, in the NFC East. I, I, don't, I don't think that Colt McCoy can essentially live up to that. Right, um, I think that Alex Smith is actually underrated in in certain lights, um, and I think that his 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 um, his presence and his value is definitely going to be missed. So uh, I don't, and like I said, the way the division is shaping up, Dallas has kind of gotten some steam going. Um, the Eagles are still technically not out of it, and even the Giants. I mean, depending on this weekend's game, if the Giants were to win, and the, let's say the Redskins start reeling because of the absence of Alex Smith, who would say they can't? you know, sneak in. So the Giants are done. Um I mean we say listen, we say that but for like I said, for example, number one, the Reds can start reeling. Now they don't become number one in the division, right? And they, let's say they, they, they don't win another game. Now they're last in the division. Let's say the Giants do win out, right? Let's say let's just say they do so. Um, I'm not saying that they're going to, but it's a division game, right? That they have going against the Eagles. Um, who aren't playing extremely well. I mean, we just saw what the Saints did to them. Granted, it is the Saints. But, you know, they got pieces around them, and the Giants have just won two straight games. They're kind of catching their stride, if, if you if you want to say so. So I'm not saying I'm not going to say that they're completely out of it. Do I think it's going to happen? Probably not. But can it happen any given Sunday? Last time Cole McCoy got any significant playing time for several games was back in 2011 on the team he was drafted for Cleveland where he threw for 2,700 yards, 14 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. This Redskins offense has a little bit more to work with than what he had in Cleveland. Adrian Peterson has had a resurgent year. That being said, their playoff opportunities are shot. I don't see them making the playoffs. Uh, they have they played Dallas. It, Dallas has been looking like the best team in the NFC East right now. They are on a tear. They're, they won two straight. They figure out everything on offense. They figure out a way how to incorporate Amari Cooper into that offense, and that makes everybody else, that wide receiver core, better. It makes Michael Gallup better. It makes Allen Hearns better. It makes Cole Beasley better. And Zeke is just still one of the top five best running backs in, 
all of football. The Eagles are technically not out of it, but the way that the Eagles are playing, they can still, at that point, still play spoiler because the, they still have to play the Redskins twice in December, and they still have another rematch with the Giants, and the Giants are starting to figure out everything offensively. With Without Alex Smith, I, it's going to be tough for me to see, during that entire stretch, them mustering up at least two more wins. I don't see if I don't see Colt McCoy having it. Their defense is still really good. Adrian Peterson's having a resurgent year. Jay Gruden is a really experienced coach. He has coached a playoff game before, but this injury might be too demoralizing to overcome for Washington. Yeah, they're gonna have to definitely rely on their uh, running game and their defense. And speaking of defense, uh, we already talked about this a little bit, so let's make this a little quick because we're running out of time. Aaron Donald will win the Defensive Player of the Year over Mack. Okay, so both of you agree to that. I also agree, and what Avery said earlier is the fact that he's in the D-tackle position. Um, he's a 3-4 uh, uh, defensive end, which is pretty much a D-tackle. Uh, the fact that he got, uh, I think it was either 13.5 or 14.5 sacks in 11 games in this now, that's ridiculous. And I, I haven't seen anything like that in ever. Uh, Khalil Mack is a great player, but... The fact that Aaron Donald's position is crazy. Um, Avery, you have something to add to that? Yeah, I think the the real case that I can make for Khalil Mack is the fact that his numbers probably would be higher had he not had the ankle injury um, mid midway through through the season there. Um, but in addition, the other case you can make for Khalil Mack is the defense of the Bears has literally been changed by his presence. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about them being a top five, potentially the best defense in the NFL right now because of Khalil Mack. I mean, literally, one player comes over and changes the entire landscape of not only that team, the entire um, uh, defense, and the entire division. So you really can make a case for Khalil Mack. I just think that, you know, like you're saying, the fact that he's doing it from the position that he's in, um, I think that and those numbers, like we haven't seen it from an interior defensive lineman. So um, I'm going to say that uh, Aaron Donald uh, uh, runs away with it. Yeah, and to your point, his, his numbers will probably be higher if he did play. But you know what they say in the NFL, the best ability is availability. Aaron Donald doesn't miss games. He's getting double teamed on 70% of his plays. He's still leads the league in 13 and a half sacks. He changed the entire complexion of that game. And made some big plays and some big sacks on Patrick Mahomes to essentially which led to their victory. So Khalil Mack is still on really has five forced fumbles, eight sacks. He's he's changed a, a top ten defense to probably the best defense in the league. But Aaron Donald is just on another level right now that Khalil Mack is there, but I don't see Khalil Mack doing, still doing enough for to take that title away from Aaron Donald as the best defensive player on the planet. We can talk about Khalil Mack and uh, Aaron Donald all day, two really good defensive players. We could talk football all day because we are the Air It Out podcast. Make sure you follow us on InsideTheHashes.com, InsideTheHashes on Instagram, InsideHashes on Twitter, um, InsideTheHashes on Facebook. Make sure you follow us. We have our fancy league um, going up right now. It's a tight race, so make sure you guys are really paying attention to what's going on for the playoff push. This is Avery Collins, Chris Thomas, and Jerome Jones. Here to talk to you guys. Kevin Crockett, please come back because I do not want to do this next week. This is Inside the Action. <laughs> <laughs> Air Podcast. Thank you so much. Have a good night. We'll see you in the playoffs.